0: How many are ready to learn about the things of God today? Amen. Amen. Perfect in Christ, part 5. You guys ready for Perfect in Christ part 5? We might as well just go to 10 now that we've gone this far in the series. We might as well just keep going. Open up your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 teaches us what Paul's main priority was when he was preaching Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul said, He, talking about Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature or perfect in Christ, as the King James says. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Everybody say, perfect in Christ. Thank you. That's what I want to talk to you today about. I hope that you'll be encouraged by it and that you'll see who God made you to be. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. I want to go through some review and I believe by God's grace I won't stay in review for long today as I know how uh, I've got stuck in it before, but I think we have covered these scriptures, but I want you just to see it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, Christ the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is where? Where's is the new? Here. Amen. Thank you. So the new creation is right here. So we cannot say that we're part sinner and saint after we've been made a new creation. Amen? So if I'm a new creation, am I still a sinner? No. So what should we consider ourselves sinners if we're new creations? So we shouldn't. You shouldn't consider yourself a sinner anymore. You should consider yourself a saint. Now, according to how you live, you may at times sin as a saint, but that does not mean that you are a sinner. Just as if, watch this, just as if a sinner does something good, they do not become a saint, is the same as when a a saint does something bad, they do not become a sinner. Does everybody get that? That's important to understand. Um, Nancy would you find that scripture for me and give it to the brothers in the back you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children we'll get to that in just a moment because I want you to see this that that's what we are is saints and that's what sinners are they're sinners so just because a sinner does a good thing that does not mean they're a good person just because a saint does a bad thing does not mean they're a bad person You have to get that in your mind. Because otherwise, as a saint, every time you sin, thank you, every time you sin, you're going to think now you go back to being a sinner. And that's not true. So notice this. Jesus is speaking to evil people. They're not born again. They have not been made a new creation. And he says, if you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, so now, do you know sinners who know how to give good gifts to their children? Yeah, you know sinners. If they were to die, they were to go to hell. But they know how to give good gifts to their children. Okay? Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, let's go into King James, please. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you'll see that he calls them saints. Now, have you ever met a saint, a Christian, who has done a bad thing? Yes, all the married people should definitely say amen. All the parents should say amen. You see your children do this. You see your spouses do this. Okay, now notice this here. Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I'm writing unto you, this church, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. That's why we get the name like Corinthians. We name it after the city. To them that are what? Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? saints. Now, if you notice in the King James, and it's even sometimes in your modern translations, it will take a word and italicize it, or a couple words here. Do you know what this means? This means it's not in the original. They're just adding English words so that you can understand it. But this kind of confuses us a little bit because it's like to be something. No, it's really just you are sanctified in Christ Jesus called what? Saints. That's in the original Greek. The 2B is just something that they're trying to do to help. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. It's just to make the flow a little bit easier. Even the King James does it. So they are called what? Saints. Okay, now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. How are these saints acting? Well, they ain't acting like saints. They're getting into a lot of trouble. They're getting drunk at communion. That was the alcohol at that time. They're getting drunk at communion. They're partying. There's divisions among them. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you, verse 1, as people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Wow, look at how Paul rebukes them. He says, Man, you guys act like a bunch of babies. Come on now. Don't get quiet in this Presbyterian church. Paul knew how to preach. Y'all are from Chicago. You can take it. Amen. If you can take it, you can make it. He says you're acting like a bunch of babies. I've got to bring you milk now. And we know from the Bible that milk's come from women's breasts. They couldn't buy it at the store. So he's basically saying, I have to come and and have you suckle on my breast like a mother with her child because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be by eating steak by now. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. I believe Paul is the author of Hebrews. It's unknown throughout different periods of history, but it was known to the early church who wrote Hebrews. I believe it was written by Paul. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond. Beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Let's move beyond these things, okay? And why should they move beyond these things? Go up to chapter five, just the first verses right there. He tells them, he says, You're on milk. He says, verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, In fact, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all, uh, all over again. You need milk. You need to be breastfed instead of eating the solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still what? An infant is not acquainted with the teachings about what? Righteousness. That's what you're learning in the the series here, Perfect in Christ. But solid food is for the what? The mature. Everybody say mature. Thank you. Who by constant use have trained themselves, hallelujah, to distinguish good from evil. So that's how you know you're mature. You're not mature based on whether or not you got a big bank account, though I think that's important. You're not mature based on whether or not you have a a lot of friends. Though I think that's great. I can, you know, speak well of you. But according to the Bible, this is not a popularity contest. This is not judged on your 401K. This is judged on whether or not you know the righteousness of God. Have you truly learned to discern good from evil? Now, notice this point that I was making right from the very beginning. When we are called perfect in Christ, that does not mean we'll never sin again. We may still sin again, even though we're not supposed to. Please go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John speaking, he says, I write these things to you that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is not only the propitiation or the substitute for our sins, but also the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Do you see that there? So the goal is not to sin. To live sinless is the goal of a Christian. Just like if you were to ask in a marriage, how many fights should you have? None. that's the goal. For parents, if if I asked you how many times you want your children to disobey you, you would say none. God wants to and can and will deliver us from every temptation. That's in the Lord's prayer. Deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, so, but if as a Christian you sin, does that mean you're no longer a Christian? No, when you look at, thank you for your participation, that's awesome, I feel it today. When you look at Paul, he's calling them saints in Corinth, but yet they're not really living like it, they're living like ain'ts, like I ain't a saint, I'm in the flesh, that's how they're living. But really, according to God, according to Paul, they're saints, even though they're not living like it, they have not lost their salvation yet, God is being patient with them. Just like in Revelation chapter 3, he says, man, you need to do these things before I spit you out of my mouth. God is patient with us, he's not going to just kick us out of the kingdom if we have mistakes in our lives or sins. At the same time, a sinner may do things right, but they don't get to go to heaven because they helped an old lady across the, you know, across the street or give good, good gifts to their children and pay their taxes. They need to be born again by God's grace. And so it's fair for all of us. And here's how it's fair. Please go to John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. It's in our first sermon uh, series in the uh, first service ser- sermon series. It's in our first service sermon series. A lot of S's there. Got it in Jesus' name to the jews who had believed in him jesus said if you hold to my teachings you are really my what disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you or king james make you free somebody say freedom Freedom. amen so you can get made free so here's the benefit you are to come to jesus as you are in your sin make a confession of faith and be made free Paul wants you to do that because that's his desire as a Christian. How many have that desire for your brothers and sisters, for everyone in your life, even though it might be your enemies, frenemies? Like we desire this for God's people and for those outside of the church. We want this for everybody. So Christians are exclusive in the fact that we believe Jesus is the only way, but we're inclusive that we invite everybody to Jesus. How many have a barbecue to go to tomorrow? few of you, few of you, okay. Now, many of you don't have a lot of friends, I guess, or family that are barbecuing, so maybe you guys should all hook up in here and do something, because not a lot of hands went up, okay? How many wish you had a place to go to a barbecue tomorrow? Okay, y'all should have a barbecue. Y'all should get together and do a barbecue. Okay, now, now let me ask you this. Are invitations exclusive? Yes. Yeah, by nature, invitations are exclusive. But does that mean that you won't allow others to come? No, so you're a gracious person. You invite whoever you know, but they can bring somebody or maybe somebody in the neighborhood. See, that's the way Jesus is. Jesus is saying to the church, I got a place for you. You're coming to my marriage supper of the Lamb. He's got us, right? But can we bring our friends? Can we bring? Absolutely. But they have to receive the invitation just like we did. The invitation is received by faith, declaring Jesus to be Lord. I mean, he says it right here in, in these words, but it's said in you know Romans, declare Jesus as Lord and you shall be saved. Here Jesus is saying, just hold to my teachings. Well, of course, part of his teaching is knowing who he is, declaring him to be the Lord of your life. Well, when we look at Colossians, if we could go back there quickly, first one, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 27 and 28, we see that Paul is doing this. And that's the work that I'm doing right now. He's preaching that others may be made perfect in Christ so that they can be presented perfect in Christ. You are not going to make yourself perfect in Christ. You're going to be made perfect in Christ. And when does that happen? When you're born again, when the new creation comes. Maybe just one more scripture in review, Ephesians 2, verse Satan onward. For it is by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the gift of God. Amen. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Just go to church? Just be nice to your neighbor? No, to do everything that is a good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So sometimes people think, that there are a, a measure of works that God is going to judge us by differently when I don't see it that way. Like, like if I'm doing my good work right now, I won't get a greater reward than uh, Jocelyn doing her work when she goes out and preaches at UIC. So there's, there's not like a different measure compared to good works. What the measure is is obedience to the work you've been called to do. So when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be like looking at Billy Graham going, oh, I wish I was like Billy Graham. No, Billy Graham might be looking at me saying he wishes he was me, not because of the size of our audience, but based on whether or not we were obedient to everything God said. What if God had told Billy Graham at some point, stop doing crusades, take a small country church, and start making disciples out of that community? Let's say he didn't, but he kept on just doing great crusades. Well, that's awesome. God used it. People were saved. Of course, it's going to still work for God's glory, but he won't get rewards for that because the measurement of how he's being rewarded is not based on popularity or effectiveness or pragmatism. It's based on the good work he was told to do. Now, let's just assume he was told to do the good work he kept doing, amen? But I'm just giving that as an example, even even for me to take it personal. Let's say like, you know, at some point I'm like, man, you know, Chicago politics, Chicago taxes, you know, because all of these things going on here, I want to go pastor somewhere else. And let's say I go there, you know, and and the church grows even faster than it does there. I have thousands of people over there. But if God didn't tell me to do that, I'm not going to get rewarded for that good work. That was a good thing that was done in the name of the Lord. People will be saved. But when my judgment comes, comes, it's going to be burned up because God's going to say, nope, I wanted you to stay in Chicago. I wanted you to help the mayor. I wanted you to help lower the taxes. Amen? I wanted you to help bring down the violence. Okay? So this idea that our works are going to be judged on the measure of how people see it. Get that out of your mind. Brothers, sisters, most of us, as Paul said, are not mighty. Most of us don't have big reputations. Most of us are not even wise or rich according to the world. If you are, that's fine. That's great. We do believe God can use you in that way, but most will not be like that. But all of us can be rewarded for the great works that God has called us to do. If you today are a Christian, you were created to do the good works. So there's not one thing you and I will face in life where we'll come to it, it's a good work, and not be equipped. Amen? Amen. That is so powerful and encouraging. So that means whatever I'm facing today as a pastor, I'm equipped to go through it and to do good works. Whatever I face, raising my six children, being married now for over 17 years, I've been equipped to do that. Whatever stage of life that you're in right now, you've been equipped to do that, brother, sister. Isn't that awesome? So so there's nothing that we can lose, uh, to do to lose. We're with Jesus. It almost sounds like we're more than conquerors. It almost sounds like greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. It almost Sounds like we can move mountains. (laughs) That kind of sounds like the Christian life I I bought into. I feel sorry that some people got the Dollar Tree version of Christianity. I got the Lexus version, man. I got the Macy version. I didn't get the Dollar Tree version. You ever get something from Dollar Tree and you're like, man, I wasted my money. Man, I should have saved up a few more dollars and went to Target. Every now and then, you know, Dollar Tree, it does what it's supposed to do. You know, you buy your soap there, you buy this. There. But every now and then, you'll try to get something from Five Below or Dollar Tree, and you'll be like, this ghetto five charger, why did I try to get that? I need to go to the Apple store, man. Why did I try to get this thing here, these headphones? I bought my kid these headphones. They all broke down, didn't even work the first day. I took them back. I think I got them another pair. They didn't work. I'm like, man, I got to take him to GameStop now, get him the right ones, you know? But that's how it feels. Like you talk to people in their Christianity, they're still busted and disgusted. They think that the good works they're supposed to do are super hard. Go to 1 John chapter 5, extending the introduction here a little bit in case you're noticing. Uh, They think the commands are like super duper hard. And I want to be very transparent with this. I now know this as a Christian based on doctrine because I've studied it for many years. But I first and foremost knew this by experience. When I was a Christian in my early years, nobody. November 5th, 1995, when I got saved, you can have one too, kingdomprinting.store, helping out brothers do ministry. I don't make a penny from it. It all goes to the brothers that are working there. Listen, when I first got saved, I instantly knew the commands of God were doable. I'm telling you, I just knew it. To me, I just believed it, and I'm like, that's what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm, I'm being very honest with you. Some of you, you got the Dollar Tree version of salvation and you need to get born again again into the right one because some of you are looking at the commands the wrong way and I want to be very transparent. I don't say this to be mean, but I stand on good ground with Charles Finney with John Wesley and many others preachers throughout the years, who said there are a lot of false converts in the church, because some of you you hear our testimonies and you go, it wasn't like that for me. And I understand there's differences. Not everybody's emotional. Not everybody uh, comes from such a, a darkness, you know, where they need to be forgiven of much. Not everyone is going to be uh, forgiven of the same kinds of things. Because the Bible says there is more and less that we're forgiven of. When the woman was washing Jesus's feet, He said to her, she was forgiven of much. And and she loves much. Some people, maybe you get saved as a child and, and you weren't forgiven as a lifestyle of sin. Now, trust me, all sin is sin. It can send you to hell. But there are some that just did not go through the pattern of sin as others. Can I hear an amen? Okay, I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the difference between my testimony and my son's testimony. I understand God's grace in a different way than my son because I've lived many, many years without Christ, okay? And I, I've been forgiven of much where he hasn't needed that amount of years and years of forgiveness. Are you guys understanding that, okay? And there are different gradients of hell. If, if I were to die and have gone to hell, I would have gone to a different gradient, just like there's going to be a different gradient of reward. Where We're all not getting rewarded the same, and we're all not, uh, the sinners are all not going to be punished the same, okay? So just get that in your mind. But what I'm talking about between my son and I, my son and I are both supposed to have the same understanding. That when we got saved, whether for me it was 18 years old after all of this sin and great forgiveness coming, or my son in comparison having less of that happening, we're both supposed to end up new creations that see the commands of God as not a burden but as a blessing. So if anyone ever steps into Christianity, whether their past was jacked up or whether they came from a Christian background with their family, whenever a person becomes a Christian, this is how you'll know they're a Christian, they will be free from sin and able to live 100% for Jesus. Those who are struggling in their temptations are either never saved or themselves backsliding on the way out. And so that's why I want to take my time to really emphasize that because I don't want to take for granted that everyone here that has said, you know, Jesus is Lord or has been baptized, I don't want to take for granted that all of you have a genuine conversion because some of you may well not have a genuine conversion. And I care, with, care for you as your pastor. Now, I don't want that to cause you to have unneeded angst and to be so introspective where you keep questioning yourself. You should simply be able to look at your life and see a time when you've accepted Christ And where Christ's commands became a joy to your heart, and living free from sin was the default. Can I hear an amen from anybody that's saved, sanctified, and how about if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, right? Come on, give a shout to God. Because, now watch, this is not my litmus test. Well, Pathro, I've never heard it that way before. That's kind of strange. It makes me feel a little bit uh, a little bit guilty. No, that's the Bible's way. You need to examine yourself. The Bible says examine yourself. Take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about you being honest in your relationship with God. That's why, and I mentioned it in the first service, I have a very low view of the percentages of Christians in American churches. For sure in America, we're in a, a very hypocritical uh, in state right now. You can look up the stats with George Barna. He says now, for the first time, that less than fifty percent of pastors behind the pulpit have a worldview like Billy Graham once used had, used to have. So think about that. Out of the you know ten churches on this block, maybe uh, four or only five have an actual biblical worldview, statistically speaking. And we've already known the problems in the church with the members. They say now members because the the preaching has been so uh, basically you know you know therapeutic deism as I call it. It's been so self-help that now they say in the church only about 10% have a biblical worldview. So that means when you meet your friends from other churches most of the time we're happy they're Christians. We rejoice. But 9 out of 10 times they will not agree with you on the fundamentals. And I'm not talking about the distinctives like our church as we're talking now about sanctification or the baptism in the spirit, women in ministry. I'm talking once again the fundamental evangelical message of Billy Graham. 9 Nine out of 10 of your friends statistically do not even believe it anymore. What you just confessed today, that, there it is, that, that's, that's what you confessed, that's what evangelicals have believed for many, many years, and you're talking nine out of 10 Christians, statistically speaking, don't believe it, and around 40 to 50% don't believe it as pastors, okay? Now, having said that, do you see my concern? When I I teach a message like this and some of you just are honest and you're like, well, pastor, I really don't see the commands of God as a joy. I really don't see serving God that way. It's still a real big struggle for me. I would ask you to go back to Christ and ask him to save you. I would ask him to forgive you of your sins, to do something like what we talked about uh, today before we took communion, and then to have a genuine repentance. And maybe it would just be good to park here for a minute the people back in the day used to take this very serious when I mentioned Charles Finney to you Charles Finney was brought up in church he himself was re- well respected in the church but truly not converted when a pastor challenged him like this and he was honest with himself and he went into a woods to pray for hours before he had the the understanding of what it took to surrender all the areas of his life and he was never the same again John Wesley the other man that I mentioned who's very pivotal in this understanding of teachings had already started a holy club at his university, was on a mission trip to Savannah, Georgia, when he got into a a storm on his ship, and he saw how quickly he became afraid of death, but the Mervarians, the people he was with, this other Christian denomination, how at peace they were, and he realized that he had not been converted. Imagine a missionary saying, on the way there, the plane almost went down, I got scared and realized I have no peace in God. And then he gets saved on his way to the mission trip. That's John Wesley's story. I believe we have really, really cheapened the salvation message to the point where now we just say to everybody, because you said the prayer, you can take assurance in your salvation. And that's not necessarily true. The prayer alone saves, faith alone, we confessed it. But that doesn't mean everyone who did it meant what they really said. So here's the way I like to say it. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I don't know what it takes for you to surrender all. You may have confessed it with us today, but you still have not surrendered all. Like I said with John Wesley on the boat ride, he had not surrendered everything of his life. He loved his own life. He didn't want to lose it. He had not denied himself to choose to follow Jesus. Even some of the Christians in the early years, when they were brought to martyrdom, not all were heroes. They would deny Christ. They truly weren't willing to die. There was actually a schism that happened, a division among the early Christians. What do we do with them now? After the, uh, you know, the death threat, threat is over, do we accept them back? I mean, it seems like they've, they've denied Christ even unto death. How can you ever trust a person like that? And so there was a great discussion. How do you now bring back these members into the church who say they've repented, but when it was time to die, they recanted their love for Jesus Christ? You see how deep this goes. So I take it very serious. This needs to be your litmus test. See, I used to do the kind of litmus test with uh, chemicals when I would do the pools and I worked in a gym. I used to have to see how much chlorine was in there and I tested it, shook it up. You need to test your heart right now. Here it is. Are you ready? I said, Are you ready? Thank you. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Okay, well, then you're passing the first check mark. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Do you believe the Father and Son are separate persons? Yes, this this takes away modalism and takes away Unitarianism, that Jesus is not equal to God. This is Jesus is God, the Father is God. It's being taught right here. Now watch this, verse 2. This is how we know. Somebody say, we know. This is how you're now supposed to take assurance as you're taking the test. This is how we know that we love the children of God. This is how we know we're in this family, by loving God and doing what? Carrying out his commands. Now, Jesus himself said that. John 14, 15, another tab, please, my brother. Hold your place here. Jesus spoke this way. Jesus said this, if you love me, Keep my commands, John 14, 15. Jesus was very clear that this is how it works. Does everybody see that? Jesus now is emphasizing that through the apostle John by the Holy Spirit. Going back to that passage in 1 John chapter 5, please. Now look at verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. To what? Keep his commands. And his commands are not what? burdensome for everyone. Just some people, just the pastor, those who have special experiences. No, for who? Everyone. Which ones? Everyone. Thank you. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Well, what is the world? He's already said in chapter 2, the love of, uh, the uh, excuse me, the pride of life, the, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Thank you, Holy Ghost. So you overcome those things, those sinful things. Everybody get it? So is it wrong of me as a pastor to have you question your salvation? No, because John wanted you to. This is how you know if you're born of God, that you love God. You love his father, the Father, and you love the Son. And, of course, he speaks about the Spirit as well. You love the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's how you know you're born of God. And then what else? You keep his commands. Okay, I keep God's commands, but they're really hard, and I struggle with them all the time. Hold on, there's one more thing. The commands of God to you are not a burden. And now what do you have? An overcoming life. You see, that's a Christian. That's why if someone could grab me one of our flyers from the back, maybe, Jade, I appreciate that. There's a reason why we end our gospel presentation with 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Why do we always end that? And even some people who may come out to preach with us are like, well, hold on. I don't even know if I'm a Christian according to your statement here. Well, the reason why we ended with this verse is because we take a thank you. We take a very literal approach to how you're supposed to live for Christ. Chap, chapter three, verses eight and nine, please. First John, chapter three, verses eight and nine. Look at what it says. It says, "The one who does what is sinful is of the devil." devil. Could it be any more simply said? It's plain, isn't it? Somebody say, "Make it plain." Thank you, John. You made it plain for us. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was just so that you could arm wrestle with the devil. He wins sometimes and you win. Is that what it says? So that you could sometimes be a winner and other times a loser. No, the reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. Obliterate. Come on, the devil's work. The devil's work has been obliterated in Christians' lives. You're a new creation. That's what the Bible says. Now look at verse 9. Please highlight it, please. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. So I'm telling you, sometimes other Christians come out with us and they go, well, I don't know if I'm born of God because I'm continuing to sin. Well, that might be very true. Can we get you saved? Well, I'm the pastor. Even better. Let's start right now. They didn't teach me this in Bible college. Yeah, that's right. You went to cemetery, right, instead of seminary. I get it. You know, if Jesus could say to to, to Nicodemus, hey, man, unless you're born again, you're not getting in. I can say this to anybody. Matter of fact, not only can I, I'm commanded to say it to everybody. You're not supposed to take for granted my salvation. I remember speaking to one young man. He had stopped coming to our church for a while, and I had uh, met met up with him a little bit, and and you guys will know me as this. I mean, even as you come here, uh, but this was back then. I used to say this all the time, and I would say, hey, man, you're living for Jesus, I still think I say that, but I remember saying it a lot more back then. And he said, Man, why would you? Like, he was offended. Like, why would you ask me that? Because I'm like, A lot of people don't live for Jesus. He's like, Well, is it because I stopped going to your church? I'm like, No, I ask everybody in my church that when I was saying that more popular, you know? Are you living for Jesus? That's not just something that you should ask, you know, to somebody you haven't seen for a while. You should ask me that every time you see me. Are you living for Jesus? Do you know that the old timers used to say, hey, are you saved? Are you sanctified? Have you been set free from sin filled with the Holy Ghost? That was a way of them communicating to each other. Accountability and things like that should not be uh, intimidating, nor should they be offensive to us. If you asked me, am I living for Jesus, I should take that as, as you love me. Now, you know, I mean, I guess if you said it a little bit sassy, Pastor, are you living for Jesus? Because I can't tell. It doesn't look like, you know, but that's not how I I asked it to that gentleman. I was just like, hey, man, how you doing? You living for Jesus? And he was like, you know, all offended. I'm like, brother, you shouldn't be offended, man. I care about your soul. I am my brother's keeper. Amen." Amen? And here it is on the back of the flyer. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. They cannot. Hebrews 10, 26, and then Lord willing, we'll get past the introduction. But how many know you're getting a little bit extra in the introduction? Every introduction I go back and listen to, there's always a little something land yap, a little something extra in there. This is where sometimes people get, you know, good people, a little bit confused, and I got to do my job as a good pastor, because now they'll say, well, pastor, if I don't keep on sinning as a Christian, you know, if I can't do that, then what is the line between when I sin and keep on sinning. Like, I don't want to ever lose my salvation. I don't ever want to, uh, you know, be, be uh, separated from God. But sometimes as a Christian, like 1 John says, I have sinned and I go to repentance, but I even go back to that same sin and I go to repentance. Am I in danger? People like this will ask me, am I in danger of going to hell? And I have to tell them no. Because if you're truly repenting, your heart is changing and your behavior is soon to follow. You will not keep repenting for that same thing for very long, okay? So be at ease in your conscience to know that some of us take time in these areas of our life, and that is not what the Bible is warning against, is someone that is sinning in that way. How do I know this? And and, and we don't have to turn there, but remember when Peter asked, how many times should I forgive the brother who sins against me? You guys remember that? He said seven times, and then what did Jesus say back? No, 70 times seven. In other words, an infinite amount of times. But does that mean you go back to the abuser, you go back to... Know, these people who are going to hurt molest etc and absolutely not but what it's saying is if someone genuinely repents that one will change you forgive them and you keep walking with them that's what it's talking about how do I know that because in the same Gospels excuse me the same Gospels it says if they continue in sin but don't repent truly repent then disfellowship them that's Matthew 18 and treat them as a, as you would a pagan or tax collector so it's built into the assumption of Jesus that the one who is coming Coming back to you is like me coming back to my wife 70 times 7. Forgive me for not being gentle and patient as I should because I need to appreciate you more. And she sees in me change as I'm repenting. It's not a, a, a repentance to get over on you or to take advantage of somebody. It's, it's true repentance. So that's how I know if Jesus said, when it comes to our brothers and sisters, we are to forgive 70 times 7, how much more will he forgive us? So you're not supposed to be walking on eggshells in your confession to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You're supposed to be confident. It's okay. I messed up. Jesus loves me and forgives me. That confidence is actually what's going to keep you growing in in Christ. Your doubt, oh, I don't feel saved, it's not working, that is going to move you away from God. So it's actually good to be convicted and brought to repentance. It's bad to feel sorry for yourself brought under condemnation. Condemnation bad, conviction good. Can I get an amen? So the fact that you have sinned and you have a guilty conscience, that means you're doing it right because you're actually bad. You feel bad about it and your confession is a real confession. Uh, confession, And through that confession based on conviction, you have transformation. Amen? The behavior changes. But here's, here's the line. Like, I explained it to you, but I'll give it to you in the scripture. Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately, do you see that word there, deliberately, keep on sinning, now you see the plurality, so you see an intention of deliberation with the plurality, what, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, you know this is wrong, now no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Everybody go, ooh, that's scary. But are you scared? I'm not. You know why? Because my heart does not want to deliberately, repetitively sin after knowing I ought not to. This is why every now and then if you meet a sassy person on the streets, they'll try to find a catch-22 with you in this, especially if they are reading what you're saying here to them. I mean, if you actually you know, use our track and you meet a, a, a kind of a quick-witted one, they'll say, well, haven't you sinned since being a Christian? Now you're going to have to, dis- to, to show them the difference between you sinning since being a Christian and them outside of Christ sinning and what is going to be the difference number one you've been born again a nature has changed their nature has not been changed number two now as a christian when you sin you feel bad about the sin you have the knowledge of the good and evil and you know it's evil and you don't want it it's not a deliberation you want to continue in can i hear an amen They're wanting to have the sin after knowing the sin and deliberately keep on sinning, denying even if it is a sin. Does everybody get that? Okay, I'm taking my time here. Let me make it even more plain. Let's say we have one of our sisters here that has come out of the lesbian lifestyle, and she's uh, preaching to a lesbian who calls herself a Christian, okay? Okay? And that lesbian who calls herself a Christian says, "You and I are just the same, honey. We're just the same." And let's say even that person that calls herself a Christian actually says, I, "I I agree with you that being a lesbian is not right, but you know what? God is going to forgive me because He's going to forgive you. He's going to forgive me. We all get forgiven, but this is just what I'm dealing with right now. Are they really the same?" No, they're not. And the major difference is this one, the one that is claiming to be a Christian, is in their lesbianism and is okay with it. They are okay with committing the sin, sleeping around, having the partner stay in their house, getting married, following this pattern of behavior. They are okay about it. There is no conviction. And they are simply having a future fantasy, which is a faith of some source, but it's called make it's not a real belief in God. It's a make-believe that in the end God will forgive them, and it's not true. The one that gets forgiven, even though that same, that same sister may be struggling with lusting after women, may have to repent of these things, the difference is they are not okay in their sin they are asking God for the transformation of that behavior, and they no longer want to do it. In other words, if you were to ask them, do you wish to never do this sin of lesbianism again, the Christian would say, yes, I never want to do it again. This one would say, I do want to do it again because it's just who I am, and I know God loves me and will forgive me. Can I hear an amen? That's the difference. And see, that's when Christians need to explain to non-Christians, we're not the same. Even though Joe today, me, may be struggling with my temper just like Bob, my neighbor, may be struggling with his temper, we're not the same. The difference is the nature and how I look at my temper. Let me, let me give you a better example than this make-believe Bob guy. Uh, let, let's, go to, uh, let's go to wakeboarding this week. So we're wakeboarding, but over here are girls in bikinis doing their, uh, doing their thing. And one of the guys says to me, oh, man, I wish those girls were over here with us. And what did I say to him? I said, I don't. I'm having just fun right here. And by the way, I'm married, you know, and that's my signal to them to stop talking to me about those kinds of things, okay? So I said, "Uh, I don't need them here. I'm having fun without them. And by the way, I'm married. And the man said back to me, so am I, okay? He said back to me, so am I. And then I said to him, well, then you must not be a Christian, He said, oh, no, I'm not very religious at all. And I said, not not talking about religion. I'm just talking about obeying God. I said, in the Bible, the Bible says, Jesus talking, said that lust is the same as adultery. And I said, those who do that will go to hell, and I don't want to go to hell. And then he repeated himself back to me and said, well, I'm not religious. And I go, okay. And I just walked away because I know when to stop throwing my pearls before people. Are you listening? So I just I said what I had to say, and I started walking away. And you know what I heard out of, out of my ears? I was walking away because he looked at another dude. He goes, I just can't help myself. You see, he's a sinner on his way to hell, and he's making excuses saying he can't help himself. Well, part of that is true, but guess who can help him? Jesus, and he has to be born again. Now, notice this right here. Now, notice, I'm going to give you the honest truth. But have I lusted since being a Christian? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Uh, I have. I'm not proud of it, but I have. So now you might say, Well, hold on, Pastor. You did great. Uh, whatever day that was, Thursday, you did great Thursday, but Joe, you've lusted just like that man. Both of you guys, are, I guess, are the same then, right? No, no, no. What's the difference? That time that I've lusted since being a Christian, I didn't say I can't help myself. I didn't say this is just the way that I am. I said I hate it. I said the, the commands of God are actually a joy, not a burden. I don't want to live this way. Jesus, would you change the way I think about this situation and help me never to do it again? And because I believe that Jesus made me sinless, I now sin less than lust. This guy is often in his own pit of mire, his own pit of mud, making excuses to continually lay in it. We're not the same. We're not on the same journey. Journey. Do you see it? Yes or no? You have to be able to see the difference. If you don't, then what does salvation really do for you? If you're talking just like the wicked sinner, then why are you a new creation? Or how are you a new creation? The Bible literally draws a line in the sand and is saying to you and I, you're a new creation. As uh, you know, the revivalist used to say. He said, you know, people say I'm saved. He would say back to him, saved from what? Because <laughs> you don't look like it. Leonard Ravenhill was his name. Well, if you're saved, show me you're saved. What are you saved from? The Bible says in James, faith without works is dead. What really has changed? But once again, does that put some type of a condemnation on us to now make us feel whenever we do sin that we're no longer Christians? No. A Christian who sins is supposed to instantly feel convicted. How many of you have felt conviction, watch this, I'm going to ask a very, very serious question, how many of you have felt conviction about things that you didn't know were sins until you read later on in the Bible, but as an early new Christian, you felt convicted? That's the Holy Spirit, so did I. I felt convicted about things in the Bible that I didn't even know were sins. Do you know what the Bible says? It's good for a man not to touch a woman. And do you know that when I first got saved, I didn't want to touch a woman? Now, that doesn't mean they're gross or that, or that they're the temptress or the Delilah. I would be just as guilty. But there was something in the common sense, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, that told me when I got saved, just don't touch, them, touch women, man. Like, because for me, touching and hugging and being close to women, even in friendship, would lead to things happening. I had many girls that were friends that things began to happen, okay? I'm just, I was a naughty boy. I'm not saying that to boast, but, but I heard that from the Holy Spirit before I ever knew that was in the Bible. Remember that time I told you that the Lord told me to take out earrings after I was coming home from the mall, and I still got the, the you know, the marks here, but I've never put them in? You know what? I took them out before I ever knew the scripture that said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I didn't know that, but the Bible had already said if there's things a part of your life that cause you to sin, it doesn't mean it's going to cause you to sin. It's going to cause someone else. But if it's personal to you, it's going to cause you to sin. It's better for you to cut it off and to live without it than to try to live with it and it always bring you to temptation. Do you know that I stopped watching TV before I ever read the Psalm that said, "Put no vile thing before my eyes." Something inside of me that said, "You got to stop watching this stuff." I cut off TV and movies for eight years, didn't watch anything but uh, gospel things, and I didn't even have a TV for many, many years. Are you all listening? You see, the Holy Spirit knows how to speak to us. So once again, if you are in a quote-unquote Christian life or a Christian quote-unquote and you don't have conviction towards obvious sins, you don't feel that God's commands are a blessing, you see them as a burden, and you continually live in those sins, chances are you are not born again. Because those who have a true conversion, those who have a true born-again nature will not deliberately keep on sinning in that relationship unless they get cut off from God as a backslider. They will stop that sin at some point and cry out to God for mercy. Go to Psalm 51, last scripture, hopefully in this introduction, and then we'll get to some goodies. Literally, I got so many goodies that I've been wanting to teach you guys or go over here. Um, I've been growing through this. How many are getting something out of this? even right now amen here's what true repentance looks like psalm 51 have mercy on me O god according to your unfailing love david speaking here after his adulterous affair according to your great uh, compassion blot out my transgressions does this sound like somebody who wants to keep on sinning does this sound like a christian that's making excuses for their sin saying i was born this way no wash away all my iniquity cleanse me from all my sin i know my transgressions My sin is always before me. See, they're acknowledging it. Against you and you only have I sinned. They're not blaming other people. They're not blaming their culture. They're not blaming what's going on in the world around them. They said, it's before you that I've sinned and done what is evil in sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, going back to the example of of the one former lesbian who is now a saint and the sinner lesbian who ain't, uh, the difference is here is they think on judgment day that God can't send them to hell for for their same-sex attraction because it came so natural to them and they were born that way. But you see, this person is saying, no, I know God would send me to hell over this because it doesn't matter that if I was born that way, I needed to be born again a whole nother way. Well, I was born this way. We'll get born again his way. Amen? And it's not your way. It's Yahweh. Go Yahweh's way. Amen? As one t-shirt said. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict. Justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Now notice this. Cleanse me. He starts using the language of their sacrificial system. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. It's a branch dipped in blood that they would wipe over the altar. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's now fulfilled in Jesus Christ and what we remembered in communion today. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you see the language there? I don't want to go back to my old way. Make a new heart in me. Make a new spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take Take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's how we ask for forgiveness. Is that sinner who's claiming to be a Christian, using their, uh, you know, addiction, their tendencies of their nature, is that one praying a prayer like this? No, they may say, I pray, oh, Lord, just forgive me of any sins, you know, as I lay me down tonight, you know, I pray you'll take me if I were to die, you know, all of that, and then, Lord, I can't help myself. Are they meaning any of that, really? No, there's no forgiveness there, but the person who came out of that lifestyle is truly praying a prayer of forgiveness if they were to sin again. That's why I say, no matter what your sin is as a Christian, be quick to repent of it, Maybe there's a person here and say, man, I'm attracted to women and I'm, you know, woman, same-sex attraction as a woman attracted to other women. And she, she's like, man, I'm a Christian now and I shouldn't feel this way. Well, you still have the same flesh. So you can be tempted in the same way. It's just, you know, you, you've, you've been changed on the inside, but your flesh is still the same. But what are you supposed to do now? You're supposed to count your flesh as dead. So if you do give into that flesh, you're not supposed to go back to the world and sin and say, well, it doesn't work. You're supposed to pray a prayer like this. And how many believe God does change their heart and change their spirit when they pray a prayer like that? How many of you were sinners and you prayed a prayer like that and you're sinners no more? There's areas of your life that have been fully changed and have, have been rearranged. And now look at verse 13. What will that person now do? Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And so that sinners will turn back to you. You see, the reason why a lot of these fake Christians can still have their friends, and they say they're still a Christian, is because they're not teaching their friends to turn away from their sin. Sometimes they'll come up to us while we're preaching, and they're like, man, you're doing it all wrong. Nobody wants to hear you. See, I'm a Christian, and I still hang out with these people, and they accept me. The only reason why they accept you is because you haven't told them to turn from their wicked ways yet. Amen? Because if they preach to them like I'm preaching to them, they'll have the same result. That's why sometimes when I get those know-it-alls that come up to me, and they have their friends in the group, sometimes I say to them, okay, well... Your friend right here, I'll say to the friend, are you having sex with your boyfriend outside of marriage, or are you living in homosexuality, whatever, and whatever they can confess to, you know, and open admittedly, yeah, of course I am. I say to their friend, read this scripture to your friend, and most of the time, they won't even do it, but if you can, get them to read the scripture that says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God to their friend, and then now ask their friend that, 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 that just heard that and say, has she ever told you that before? Then they're not really your friend. See, because if they haven't read to you the scripture about your lifestyle leading to hell, do they really love you? See, I'll tell them right there in that circle, I'm more of a friend than they are. This person's been around for you, with you for what, eight, ten years, and you guys think you're besties, and you think that this person's a Christian and cares about you because they love you and are nice to you and accepting of you, but they haven't told you that you're actually going to hell. What kind of friend is that? They told you they're a Christian but haven't even read the Bible to you. That's why when I discuss with Muslims on the streets as they hear us preaching as well, and they say, oh, our religion is so much better than yours. We don't judge people like that. I'm like, you don't even know your Quran." I'll have them read in the Quran where it says we're the worst of all creatures. I say the difference between me and you is I believe more in Christianity than you do Islam. The ones who actually believe in Islam is the guy with the, the plane crashing into the building. He actually believes that you don't. So don't come to me with your hypocritical Islam either, you know. I've had women without their hijabs try to preach to me Islam. I'm like, I don't even want to listen to you. Go get your hijab on um and bring your husband, then I'll listen to you. Because they're not even allowed to talk or address a man without their husband there. That's why in Saudi Arabia, where the home of Mecca is at, they couldn't even get their license until just a few years ago because we put pressure on them. Are you guys listening to me? Don't let the world convince you that because you teach sinners about their sin and the judgment that you are doing harm to them. You are not doing harm to them. You're giving them the opportunity to be changed and to be saved. So the end result, my brothers and sisters, of true repentance from a Christian is that not only are they saved uh, from that sin, that temptation, deliver me, uh, you know, lead me not to temptation, deliver me from evil. Not only has that happened to them personally, but then they want to go out and preach to others. So ask yourself this before I get into my message here before we get, you know cuz that was just the introduction ask yourself this do you truly love God's commands then chances are when you made that confession you have a genuine faith when you sin against one of God's commands are you quick to repent and when you repent do you repent like that do you repent like Psalm 51? And then lastly, do you now find joy in teaching transgressors, teaching sinners the same lessons that you have learned? Amen. Now let's go to our lesson for today. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Give me just a few moments. I know you all don't have to work tomorrow, many of you, so we'll, we'll be good. What if I give you a barbecue after this? Would you stay till three? Okay, hold on. Maybe we've got to do this. <laughs> Call up a Little Caesars. That's my way of doing a barbecue. <laughs> I know. So often we have people at the house; they're expecting, like my wife, to come out, you know, like Mister um, or uh, Leave It to Beaver, like the wife would come out and all of that. No, when you come to my house, normally we set like Little Caesars on the table. There you go, because uh, we kind of like that family, just by the way. You know, there's Little Caesar families, and then there's like five course meal families. Is there anybody else a Little Caesar family? Okay, how many are five course meal family? Okay, God bless you. We need both. Amen. We need both. Okay, everybody, turn with me, Hebrews ten. Verse 10 and onward, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 and onward. I want want you to hear this beautiful, beautiful passage. Hear it today in your heart and receive this. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for how long? For all. That means as long as you are in Christ Jesus, you are always holy. See, it fits in the introduction, doesn't it? Even when we don't act holy, we don't lose our status of holiness because we're in Christ. As long as my son has my DNA, even if he doesn't act like me, he's still my son. Now, for us, we can go back to our sinful ways where my son, if he was rebellious, he would never become another uh, kind of DNA. But the Bible's clear in John chapter 8 that there are sons of God and sons of the devil. As long as we are in God's house, we'll never have to fear becoming dirty again to not be welcomed in God's house. We're clean once and for all. But as we read in the same exact book, Hebrews, as we read in this book, we can be cut off if we deliberately keep on sinning. There's not a contradiction. I've debated this with my friends who believe in once saved, always saved, and they try to uh, create a contradiction almost by, by saying their point. They're trying to say, well, once you're in God's hands, you can never be taken out. Nothing can separate you from his love. You're sanctified once and for all. And I'm like, amen to all of that for those in Christ, for those in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you cannot remain in the all for all statement. In other words, Christ's people are forever sanctified, but are you always going to be going to be Christ's people. See, the the promise is that the people get it. But are you going to be the people is up to you. Another illustration is like this. Imagine every day a plane safely um, flew from Chicago to LA every day at 10 o'clock. That plane is is, uh, safely going there. And let's say uh, somehow we can make a promise that it would never crash. So, will you on that plane going from Chicago to LA at 10 o'clock ever crash? No, you are safe once and for all if you're on that plane if you want to take it every day. Can I hear an amen? But if you take another plane, are you safe? No, it's a simple thing. If you come out of that plane and jump out of the plane in the middle of the flight, are you safe? No, so when you hear the scriptures talk about the forever and all, and no one can move you out of his hands, those are the promises for those in Christ. Just go to John 15 so you could see it even more clearly. I know in Hebrews we've already read it, but I want you to see in John 15, Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Are non-Christians in Jesus at any time in their life? No. Non-Christians are always outside of Christ, are they not? Okay, so if he's saying here that he cuts off every branch in me, can this be speaking to a non-believer? Who is it speaking to? has to be speaking to Christians because according to the Scriptures, only Christians are in Christ. So that's why I take my Baptist friends. I love them, but I say, you got to become Bapticostal, baby you got to get back into this word because it's clear. He says, every branch in me, every branch. The whole terminology in Christ that I taught you guys around week one of this series is clear that it only applies to Christians. There is no sinner ever in the scripture to be said to be in Christ. In Christ, the name of the album that we recorded here, free on the app and online and all the places you can stream music, was chosen for a specific reason. In Christ is one of the highest languages of salvation. There is no phrase, let's put it this way, there's no phrase I adore more than in Christ. There is nothing closer, I mean, there's nothing else you could say. If I say to my wife, you are in me, how much closer can we be, you know? I love you. You are in me. I am in Christ. So clearly he's not talking to non-Christians. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that can be even more fruitful. You are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in you and I will also uh, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now watch this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me. You notice the if there? It's not a guarantee everybody's going to stay on Jesus' ship or his vessel. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now watch this. If you, talking to the very ones he said are clean, did he not say to them they are clean just in a few verses prior to that? He says, you are clean, right? You are the ones that are inside of me. This is the ones he is talking to. He says, you are in me. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. That's Peter. Peter, you will be like a branch. Judas, you will be like a branch. Anyone in that group, you will be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Does everybody get that? Amen. Just scroll up just a little bit more. Just a little bit. Now, notice this right here. He says, you are already what? Clean. So who is he talking to? Clean people or dirty people? See, this is why when I talk to my friends from, from the Baptist background, I'm like, you want me to change this whole thing around because you're insecure about your salvation. I am not insecure about my salvation. I can guarantee I am going to heaven right now. I can be 100% assured that I'm going to heaven right now. I can have no doubt, and I don't have any doubt. You could put me on a lie detector test. I have zero doubt. At the same time, a both and an and, not an either, not a but, a both and, and I understand every security that I have, every promise that I have, every uh, thing that I have that gives me assurance is found in Jesus. So if I leave Jesus, I don't have security anymore. I don't have the promise anymore. I don't have the branch or the vine anymore. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So going back. To Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 notice what it says we have been made holy through the sacrifice for Jesus once and for what? For all. That's why we don't need the Catholic priest to re offer Jesus for us at the Mass and give us his literal body and blood to eat. That's not only gross, it's heretical against the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. I don't need it re offered again. It was offered once and for all. Verse 14 now For by one sacrifice he has made perfect for how long? Forever. He has made perfect for how long? Forever those who are being made holy. How many holy folks do I have here today? Amen. Amen. And your perfection lasts for how long? Forever. Put that in your Holy Ghost pipe and smoke it. Amen. Put that in your Holy Ghost vape and vape on it. Let that aroma come into the room. You need to meditate on that. Bring that good stuff in. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He changes us from the inside out. He gives us his nature. It's once and for all. It is forever. We are not supposed to look at our daily struggles like the sinners look at their struggles. We are to understand that we have power to overcome every temptation, that we have a shield of faith to extinguish all the lies and attacks of the enemy, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. This is our confession of faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, and you got to come back by God's grace for next week because I'm going to get to this practical goodies that I have, a, have in Romans 12 and 2 Peter 1. Some of the things of 12 I've gone over, but I want to go in so much more depth with Second Peter, so please come back next week. Lawrence, would you come, please? Look at Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now, everybody say, ahora! Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep isn't he preaching now equip you with every good every good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever in God's people said Amen. Put that in the King James and give him another chance to say amen. Do you know what the word there equip means? That he equipped you? Guess what that word means in the King James. He perfected you. That's why I love the King James. Sometimes it makes it a little bit more plain. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal or everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. amen. Look at what he did for us. Come on, somebody. I'm glad somebody's getting excited. He has made you perfect for every good work. Would you highlight that, please, and share that with your your beautifully broken friend that keeps saying they're beautifully broken and that there's no way that they can get out of this temptation and living for God is so hard and you just don't understand what I've been through. Well, you just don't understand what Jesus has been through. Jesus went to the cross so that you could crucify the flesh. You don't know what Jesus has done to you. Oh, you don't know what they've done to me. Do you know what Jesus did for you? He said, you are now the righteousness of God. He now said, no weapon formed against you can prosper. He said that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of evil, his rod and staff will comfort you. You will not be afraid. You see, you got to put that in your heart. Not the problems of this world. No one's denying that they've been there or have been a part of your past. But your trauma does not dictate your identity. You have been made perfect in Christ to do every good work. Say this with me. I'm the perfect answer to all the problems in my life. Come on, somebody say, I'm the perfect answer to the problems in this generation. Amen. You and I are the perfect answer. We're the perfect answer to the violence of our streets. If Everybody Would Love, J.C. Like Me. I wrote that song, and people thought I was cocky and prideful back then. But Nancy's smiling because she remembers it. It was one of the only songs on my rap album back in 98 that I actually sung on. And I'll give it a little try for you. If everybody loved J.C. like me, the world would be a better place, can't you see? If everybody loved... J.C. like me, the world would be a better place, can't you see? I used to run them streets, hitting on them beats. Everybody thought I was just a freak. Days I would wake up, I thought I had it all. The money, the drugs, and we used to ball in the middle of the night, high as a kite. Tried to find somebody to start up a fight. Well, my mama was crying. My boys, they were dying. My mind's messed up, and I was out of luck. I need to get out of here before I die. My mama told me, boy, just to try. Jesus Christ will come set you free. I called upon his name, and now I'm free indeed. If everybody loves... Come on, y'all. Give it up for Jesus. That's some 1998 rap. That's some of that Will Smith old school, you know what I'm saying? It was meant to be like one of those Will Smith songs, you know, just cruising down. But back then, people used to give me such a hard time, like, oh, if everybody loved Jesus like you, like like you're perfect, and I'm like, yeah, I am in Christ. Well, who are you? Nobody's like Jesus, but I'm like Jesus. He told me I was supposed to be like him. Isn't that what he said? And then, they, and then they would get mad at me. Just like, they get mad at me now. Who do you think you are? I think I'm a sanctified saint of God, filled with the Holy Ghost and power, made perfect for every good work. Well, haven't you sinned? Yeah, but it's not my default. I repent like David in Psalm 51. I ask the Lord to put in me a clean heart, transform me, so that the Lord could keep pruning me, that I can bear more fruit. Any more questions? Uh, well, it didn't work that way for me. Well, then get born again. Do what I did, and God will do it for you. If you do what I did, God will do what he did for me for you. He's not playing favorites. I've lived, by God's grace, a sanctified life for almost 25 years now. Everybody's waiting for me to fall so they can say, see, I told you so. No, I'm going to be in heaven saying, see, I told you so. I haven't said that I'm sinless. I've told you very clearly I have sinned less. Since I believed I was made sinless, since I understood this is how I was made, I have taken on the good works in a different light. So you, you have nothing to convict me over that the Holy Spirit has not, hasn't already convicted me over. Do you know that if I'm already up in your life talking to you about your sin, it's because you've ignored the shepherd's voice? I always tell that to people when we're in disciplinary meetings, well, I, I just don't like you. I'm like, man, you must not like Jesus. Because I'm not the first one to have told you this if you're a Christian. There's no way I can be the first one to tell you about your attitude. There's no way. You have to be ignoring Jesus. The Bible says, My sheep hear my voice. Do you know that every time, I'm, I'm saying, come on, every time. Somebody say every time. Thank you. I'm saying every time I have gotten caught up in sin, a habit of sin, any of my weaknesses that have ever had to be dealt with with friends, leaders, parents since being a Christian have always come as a result of me not listening to the Lord. I remember being in Bible college becoming bitter towards my president and I remember the Lord telling me, you have to forgive him and move on and I would not forgive him. Do you know it took a pastor calling out bitterness in my heart in front of a whole lot of people for me to get free from bitterness but the Lord had told me that about a year ago. Come on, how many have a relationship with Jesus? God was dealing with my temper long before people ever thought I had a temper. you telling me, Joe? I think you have a temper. You are not a prophet, I know I have a temper. I, I Do you not hear my testimonies? I punched a girl, at, her name was Sonia, in my neighborhood at five years old. I was born a certain way. Everybody says they were born this way, they get to act out on it. Do I get to go back to punching Sonia's? I'm just being honest. I mean, because first of all, if you came from the goo through the zoo to you, mine's, mine's a better option. you just having sex with other, uh, other people. what you get out of that? I'll conquer you. Oh, you get quiet now. If it's true, the goo through the zoo, if an atheist is saying to me, I was born this way and I can do it because I'm just a creature, how many know I can conquer him now? Well, then I'll just conquer you. I oh man I'll keep you here all day. I always talk to people like that. Why do you get to do your thing? And then I'll tell them about Hitler's thing. Well, that doesn't count. Says who? In a world of stardust, you lose, Jack. You blue-haired freak, you get you're the first one that gets put up into the into the furnace on the train. Are you listening? I'm not saying anything against blue hair in general, but you know what I'm talking about? They got the they got the chicken like cuckoo like this this They got this kind of like this hair that comes up and it's purple, and they got, and they're thinking, I came from evolution and I can point my fingers at all of you. And I'm like, in the world of might makes right, you're the first thing getting stomped. How many know that? I mean, most people who think that way have no strength to conquer the reason why we had to go to germany look at germany i mean look at what they did that small nation almost conquered the entire european continent over to asia they almost took over russia like three times their size Are you guys understanding? japan was taking over china there are people, I mean, let's just go down. I'm not talking racially. I don't want to get into eugenics right now, but that would be true in evolution too. Because how many know if you got a bulldog or a horse and you're racing it or fighting it, how many know you're going to keep breeding it till you got the strongest thing? At some point, there's going to be a stronger race among us that's going to kill all of us. Because I'm definitely not going to be in, in the Spartans, right? Like I am definitely not a Spartan, okay? Have I just gotten too crazy? I'm looking at some of your looks right now. I think I went way too far. Let me just pull it back. Let me just pull it back. Woo! <laughs> Walk this back, listen, the mentality of the goo through the zoo, you get to do what you want, why can't I do what I want and just conquer? Why can't I punch Sonia's? Because we have moral codes, right? Is everybody tracking with me? But all of our moral codes are broken. So mine's broken, I'm punching Sonia, I'm supposed to punch bad people if they come to hurt the innocent, right? Does everybody get that? That's what it's made for. The Bible says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. How many believe that? But how many know you need God to tell you what time it is? Some people think it's time for war. It's not. Other times people think it's time for peace. So if Christ comes into your heart, did you make yourself a better person? No, you were made perfect to do the good work. So now what is your work? Well, if it's time to go to war, it's a good work, go to war. That's when it's time to conquer. God will let you know. I believe in a just war. Is, it, is sexuality always bad? Yes or no? No, but when it's time, it's time to have perfect sex. Come on, somebody, say amen if you believe it, at least if you want to get married one day. Some of you single people can't say it right now. Perfect sex. Well, it's been defiled by the world. Yeah, but they don't get the last say. We get the last say by we're made perfect in Christ. Do you know that there's perfect anger? Do you know that God is not a pacifist just up in heaven, just always like, hmm, what's going on, Jesus? I'm meditating, hmm, Watch Jesus throughout the Bible. Sometimes He's happy, sometimes He's mad, sometimes He's glad, sometimes He's sad. Why is Jesus all these different emotions? Is He a woman during that certain time of the month? No. The emotions of Jesus are typical towards humanity. Though some of us may go through them all in one week, Jesus went through them in His lifetime. Sometimes you're mad, sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're glad, sometimes you're all of that. How do you know the difference? God, you are made perfect to do good works. When you walk out this door, what are the commands of God for you? Those are your instructions. There are some things I'm supposed to walk out this world and be upset about. There are other things when I walk out this world I'm supposed to go out there and I'm supposed to be sad about. There are other things when I walk outside this world I'm supposed to go and solve the problem. There are other things I'm supposed to walk away from. Look at this phrase and if it doesn't change your life I don't know what will. There is nothing else. God of peace brought Jesus from the dead the great shepherd of our soul so that through his covenant made by blood he might make you somebody say he's talking about me to make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That means you're never doing this by yourself. It's always through Jesus. In him, you live and move and have your being the reason why I'll never punch a Sonia again unless she's trying to do something bad and touch the no-no zone or something, the reason I'll never do that again to Sonia is because God made me perfect to please Him in loving her in traffic. I was watching a football game. You know, these TikToks, uh, these Instagram little feeds go through, and sometimes you wonder, like, how do people record these things? I guess people just have their phone up all the time. I watched three dude, uh, three girls jump a dude at a football game. I don't know what it was about. It was kind of funny but kind of sad. The funny part about it was there was a father there with his kid, which I could totally relate to not wanting to be in the situation, but the the Instagram title said, well, at least the father didn't freak out. And It was totally sarcastic because when the girls started jumping the guy, the father with his kid started screaming at the top of his lungs, Stop! He went like, like the women were way more masculine and manly than that, dude. But anyways, I was, I was watching this, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. This dude's getting jumped by girls right now. Okay. And it, you just say, I don't want to share it because then I'll get in trouble because somebody will get offended by it. And I'm not promoting it. But the point is, I don't do those things anymore. I don't find myself in situations where I need to punch people at a football game. How how many know 99.99% of the time that doesn't have to happen? How many know probably there is a right or a wrong there, but there's probably two bad solutions being presented here, right? The dude is probably doing something bad he shouldn't be doing, and then these girls are doing something bad that they shouldn't be doing, right? I have no idea. I think it was a fight over a seat. That's my best guess because it wasn't like there was some, like, real big thing going on at that time. It's just like they're chilling. Like, you never see the back story, right? It's just, all of a sudden, they're all jumping on top of the guy, like, choking him out and everything. Um, I don't want to do that anymore. How many are with me on that? But how many know that's somebody's life today, okay? I don't want to get drunk anymore. Everybody with me on that, okay? How, how about this? I don't want to use swear words anymore to describe what's going on in my life. Anybody else with me? How about this? I don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. Let's keep going. It's going good here. I don't want to covet what you have. I don't want to be jealous of you. Anybody else? Don't want to be covetous? How about this? I don't want to gossip about you. Whatever I would say about you, I would want to say to you. I would want you to know I've spoken to you about whatever you've heard me preach on or whatever. You've already heard me address these kinds of things in your life. I don't want to be a liar I don't want to be a person that has the the tendency to lust and look at the opposite sex as objects I want to have pure eyes as I see sisters in this congregation there's a lot of good works I'm supposed to do in life and so are you and if you and I take this backwards And go well I'm gonna try really hard every time I'm in traffic or in the football game not to jump this dude or I'm gonna try not to be jealous or I'm gonna try you're going to fail but if you come to that situation as a Christian and go I've been made perfect for this situation just a funny another one since I was talking about Instagram this was a funny one this one they said Jesus gave this guy the gift of purity or the gift of grace, it's something like that and then you look at what's going on okay, he's a dude that's sitting down and there's a woman in a tight dress that's getting a, a award and she puts her butt right in his face as she's getting up and the guy's eyes, he looks over just to see like what's coming in his purview, like what's, what's coming out of this side and he realized it's a woman in a tight dress putting her butt in my face and then he just looks like this and starts looking like this how many men would do that here? You see, that's what I want the world to say about us. I want the world, even if they put their stuff right in our face, we go, no, thank you. Because when I was out wakeboarding, my wife wasn't there. And when those guys said, hey, how do we get those girls in the bikini to come on over here? I could have done what dudes do, and I could have said, oh, man, those girls look good over there. Boy, no harm in looking, right? That's what the world says. But I was made perfect for that good work. How many know out of that guy's life experience hanging around dudes, he has probably never heard what I shared with him in 30 seconds. Some of us, we are the only representative of real Christianity those people are ever going to see. And so if we're always cussing like them, if we're always staring at what they're staring at, if we're always struggling the same way that they're struggling, what have we shown them about our Savior? He's pathetic. I don't know about you, but I have some friends that repair cars and fix houses. And guess what every time I see them driving? A broke-down car. And guess what happens whenever I go over to their house? It's never put together. Have you ever met a mechanic that has a bunch of broke-down cars in his yard or his garage? Isn't that like a contradiction? Dude, you fix cars, and they're like, well, I'm going to fix it soon enough. And then another one joins and said, Well, I'm going to get to that one. I got it for parts. Or people who remodel houses. Dude, when's that going to be done? Oh, you know, I'm fixing somebody else's house. This will get done one day. Do you think I want to hire that person to be my mechanic or to fix my house? The one that I always look at never has their stuff together? Isn't that what people see when they see us as Christians? Well, you're really no different than me. You lust like me. You lose your temper like me. You have no different opinion about the world than me. I mean, you, me, and Oprah all agree on life's issues right now. Well, then how are we doing good works? We're not. And the church needs to get out of that mess. So that's why God told us to start at the beginning. Start at the place where you're made perfect to do perfect. Start at the place where you're a new creation to live new ways. Start at the place that you are God's masterpiece so that you can do what pleases Him. And watch what will happen in your everyday life. Amen? I want my children to come up here first and I want to pray for them and then everyone else. I feel a touch of the Holy Spirit here and I want to pray for my kids. Even my older ones that get embarrassed. Yes, I want to pray for my kids. Lord, I pray for each one right now that they will see in my house a person that was made perfect to do good works. Lord, I pray that if they ever see inside of me anything that is less than the perfection you called me to, that the very next thing they will see is repentance. Father, I pray they see that in Jesus' name. Have I ever had to repent to you? Yes. Have I ever had to say I was sorry to you? Yes. So you've seen repentance from me, haven't you? But you know daddy's desire is to keep living for Jesus. Lord, I pray for each one of them, that they'll grow up to be mighty men and women of God. Nancy, would you come, please? I want to pray for my wife. I know for you guys, you like this church for a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons I love this church so much is that I can bring my family here and not be ashamed of the leaders that are here. I am so proud of every one of you as leaders. You've made this a church where I can come and bring my family. Do you know that I've even heard pastors say, I don't even like having my family around some of the people I pastor. I feel so bad for those pastors because there's gossiping going on. The the people in the band aren't living right, and the children have to be guarded from those problems. That's why they say PKs, sometimes pastors' kids grow up the worst. But I thank God for all of you. I just want to say that right now as I get ready to pray for my wife because I know I'm not the only one. But I want to set an example. This is how I pray for my family because this church, to me, is where we live it out. And it's where my wife gets to see her husband come from this pulpit back to that couch and she can say he's living according to that. That means something to me here. I pray that it means something to you, Father. I pray for my wife to always be that example and that I as her husband will be that example to her, that, Lord, you will make her the perfect mother to do every good work for all of these children, for the homeschool, for the Bible college, for the church, for her community, for her friends, and for the family that even came over yesterday that are unsaved, oh, Lord. I pray that my wife will be the perfect solution to the problems in her world and that, Lord, she will demonstrate what it's like to live for you. In the name of Jesus, can I have all the altar workers come up here today, please? And any other elders and deacons that are coming to the meetings. Thank you, family. You may be seated. I want to pray for all of my elders and deacons. Before you face them, would you face me as your accountability partner? That you would know I fear God. I fear God for your family, for your calling. Sister, listen to me. I fear God that I would mess up the precious gift that you have, not just by the the crazy stories we've heard, but by lowering the standard. That somehow you would be drawn into a version of Christianity that is less than the fire that God put on your heart. I fear God that I would compromise this so that I could win your affection. So I want you to hear my prayer today, saints. My prayer for you is that brother and sister alike, that you will see we are this. It doesn't matter what the world says about us. It doesn't matter what the church down the road says. You were made perfect to do every good work. You are the perfect solution to those problems that are in your life. You are a pastor to your community, sir. When you opened up those doors and your family said to that community, come here, you are the perfect blessing for them. I'm tired of people trying to nitpick and be spec inspectors and pecker checkers to try to find, are you circumcised? What you know, what little problem can I find in you when they got these planks in their eyes. I've had people, listen to me, I've had people mock our church as their pastor goes into adultery and mock us because we are not as big as them. Our parking lot is not as big as we have to borrow the one from the Greek people. They mock us while their pastors act like wicked sinners. I would rather know I'm a perfect solution to the problems I'm called to fix than to go out there and be a, a perfect mess. A perfect example of a failure. Where's Lawrence? Let me to tell you what a failure is. A failure is someone who has revival but loses the respect of that woman right there. That's a failure. I don't care how many prophecies they've given, I don't care how many uh, places they've preached, because you've seen them just as well as I do. Their gifts will take them to places on the mountain where their character can't keep them. That's revival. Revival is a family that serves God. But you're one of the busiest couples in this church. And every time I sit down with you, and you guys know I asked you last time I was with you, and I sat down with you and I asked you, are you burning out? Is it too much? Do you need to pull back? Do you remember me asking you that? Yes. See, people think we work people here. I actually do the opposite. I come back and I make sure they don't burn out because I know how much it, it hurts when good Christians don't feel like they're given enough. But you know what they told me? You know what they told me? They said, we love doing this. We love having the young adult Bible study. We love having the Spanish Bible study. We love being on the worship team. We love helping out around the church. We love doing the outreaches. My friend, you are the perfect, the perfect solution to the problem of this generation. I'm just going to pray for you guys right now before I preach a whole nother message. Would you stretch your hands towards these elders and deacons right now? Would you stretch your hands and pray for them? May God uplift them and encourage them in every sphere of life that they're in, all of them in their jobs and on their, in their in their families and at their homes. I pray right now for every good work to be accomplished through them right now by the power of Jesus Christ. I pray the blessing of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, would lead these elders and deacons to the green pastures, to the quiet waters that restore their soul. And from that place of soul care, from that place of healing and blessing, they will be the perfect solution to a world on its way to hell. Oh, God, I pray for each one of their homes, each one of their families to be blessed today, God, with the good works of marriage, with the good works of parenting, with the good works of prosperity and peace and blessing. That, Lord, no weapon formed against them would prosper. That your Spirit would would wake them up in the morning like dew on the grass. That, Lord, the Holy Spirit would bubble up in them, oh God, the refreshment that they need for the day ahead. And that throughout their day, oh God, you would be the strength in their loins, oh God. You would be the strength in their spine and their back, that which holds them steady throughout the day. And oh God, when they laid their heads down at night, Lord, if there's any sin, they confess. But they go back to bed that night, oh God that they know that they are the perfect solution to the problems this world is facing and that you are pleased. That you are pleased that they are not on a rat race of approval, that they have been approved and that you love them. That, Lord, you love them with an unbreakable and unshakable love, oh God. And should you tarry, they will wake up a thousand more days and live just like that. They will live the life of your children, sons and daughters, more than conquerors, well-pleasing in your sight. Can God's people say amen? Would you stand up with me, please, as we bless them?